This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Hello and welcome to the sixth Points of View podcast for the 2015-16 season presented by the National Arts Center English Theatre and coming to you from the Panorama Room of Canada's National Arts Center in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. One, two, three, and... Welcome to the Points of View podcast for the NEC English Theatre's 2015-16 season. In each episode, you will learn about English theatre productions through an encounter with NEC English Theatre and two special guests, offering a unique perspective on the piece. In this point of view around the presentation of Boom, guest host Brad Long speaks with two special guests, Boom creator and performer Rick Miller, and Christine O'Grady, creator of OttawaBoomers.com, about the baby boom generation and the creation of this production. English Theatre's presentation of Boom ran in the NAC Theatre February 24th to March 12th. For more information about the NAC English Theatre presentation of Boom, please visit nac-cna.ca, click on English Theatre. And now, here are Brad Long, Rick Miller, and Christine O'Grady. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Canada's National Arts Centre. My name is Brad Long. I am your host for this edition of the Points of View series entitled Rebooting the Boomer, (laughs) Then and Now, um, in association with the English theatre production of Boom, written, performed, and directed by Rick Miller. Um, Before we begin, I just want to do a couple of things. I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unseated uh, territory of the Algonquin Nation, and that we're very grateful to be able to have this space to share these incredible stories. Um, for anyone out there in the audience, if you ever are having a, uh, a difficult time hearing anything, please feel free, just raise your hand, let us know, and we'll try to remedy that. Um, the format of this discussion is Q&A, uh, me as a host, asking these guys some questions, and then um, after a little while, we'll open it up to the audience. So if you have any questions or stories that this discussion provokes, please just feel free to sharpen them and um, we'll turn it over to you at the end. Um, But before we begin, let's uh, introduce our guests. Christine O'Grady is a certified boomer, Ottawa (laughs) resident and blogger. She enjoys living life to the fullest, even at the ripe old age of 55. (laughs) Her career in television broadcasting afforded her the opportunity to live in both Southeast Asia and Europe, and as an avid traveler, she has visited over 24 different countries and enjoyed an adventurous lifestyle. That's me. Hello, everyone. Uh, Although originally from Southern Ontario, Christine has made Ottawa her home and lives an active life with her blended family. Christine presently works as a freelance marketing and communications professional focusing on the tourism, lifestyle, health, and wellness sectors. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Rick Miller is a Dora and Gemini award-winning writer, director, actor, musician, and educator who has performed in five languages on five continents. 
Entertainment Weekly called him one of the 100 most creative people alive today. He has created and toured solo shows such as Mac Homer and with Daniel Brooks, Bigger Than Jesus and Hard Sell. With Robert Lepage, he has collaborated on Geometry of Miracles, Zulu Time, Lip Sync, and on the film Possible Worlds. Rick taught an interdisciplinary uh, class at the University of Toronto called The Architecture of Creativity. I would love to take that class. I have no (laughs) idea what it's been. And co-starred in the Canadian premiere of Venus in Fur, a Canadian stage production that I saw, and you guys blew the roof off the place. It was fabulous. Miller is the artistic director of Weird Productions, an internationally acclaimed company devoted to multidisciplinary theater. He is also a creative director of Kadoons, co-producing several web series that connect Um, to the themes of the stage productions, history, culture, ecology, and technology. Besides Boom, Kadoons, and Weird Productions have collaborated on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which premiered at the Pan Am Games and at the Grand uh, Theatre in London, Ontario, uh, 2015-2016 main stage series. Rick is from Montreal and lives in Toronto with his wife, Stephanie Baptiste, and their two daughters, and we're so um, lucky to have him here today because we don't normally, in these discussions, have uh, the person who's going on stage in 45 minutes or whatever, so thanks. Good to be here, thank you. Great. Raise your hand if you're a boomer. (laughs) All right. You'll notice that Rick Rick did not- (laughs) No, I didn't. You know, raise his hand. So I feel like we just have to disclose that. Yes. Yeah, great. I, I'm not a baby boomer. I was born at the, uh, well, not even at the tail end. Uh, as you'll soon find out, we're not going to try and give away too much from the show. Is everyone nope. coming to the show just so we know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will not give too much away, but uh, I was born out of the mini baby boom that followed uh, Apollo 11 moon landing. Ah. And so born in a true Gen Xer is what I am. Mm. Well, baby boomers, those people will say born between um, 1946 and 1964 continue to be the preeminent political, economic, and cultural force of our time. But something really interesting has happened recently that got me thinking about the passing of that torch, and that is the U.S. restoring relations with Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, Kennedy, the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, the fear of nuclear annihilation, those defining elements of a generation are maybe losing their hold over us as millennials begin to take their seat at the adult table. But before boomers get too nervous about losing their grip, I just want you you to remember this, and that is Paul McCartney is still touring. (laughs) The music of the baby boom generation continues to resonate today. It is for people my age, the entry point into the boomers cultural identity. And Rick has tapped into that so masterfully uh, in Boom, and hopefully you'll see that later today. What did you guys listen to when you were growing up? I was a child of the, the 70s and 80s, and I would say my biggest cultural influence was not classical music. We, we didn't play the CBC at home. It was meatloaf, batted at hell, you know, <laughs> uh, and Star Wars, the typical stuff. There was nothing avant-garde. It was pretty mainstream pop rock and uh you know david bowie and talking heads were things i discovered Mm -hmm. only later the artier Mm -hmm. stuff yeah Mm -hmm. it was mostly just you know rock and roll and my brother loved the 60s and so i listened to what my brother listened to and that's where i discovered the amazing explosion Mm -hmm. of rock and roll that happened in in the late 60s specifically Mm -hmm. what about Mm -hmm. you christine oh well, I I was born at the later stage of the uh, the boomers, but I went from being, uh, you know, listening to Elvis and uh, the Beatles with my parents because they were young. My mom, I think she had me when 
She wasn't even quite 18. Hmm. And uh, I was a rocker chick. I was a punk rocker, <laughs> new wave, uh, hippie. Uh, you know, music was everything. Music was everything. It was a really big part of my young life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Noticeably absent from all of those things is disco in that. Oh, in, is I that, forgot is that a disco. Th no. <laughs> I, know I forgot disco. Disco was huge. Yeah. The satin pants, the Donna Summer. Absolutely. <laughs> Driving to Florida at 16 with Donna Summer playing in the car. Oh, wow. yeah. I'm kind of curious as to what you think um, the defining, what music best defines that era for you? The, the baby boomer? Yeah. Or the, yeah. Well, have, I mean, you're, you're a boomer. Maybe you should start. And wow. I'll, I'll throw in my... It's really hard because there was such a variety. Mm. Um, I mean, the Stones were, were huge. Yeah, I think um, big influence, uh, but you know, so was the Beatles and Elvis, and mm. uh, yeah, there's just too many to name. I don't think you can pick just one. Yeah, I think one of the main uh, threads through Boom, and certainly one of the catalysts to get me to make it was. I sing in a band, uh, you know, cover band, party band, we have a good time, 10 people, horns and everything. And a lot of the great songs we sing are from the 60s. Uh, and it sort of made me realize that I studied architecture as well, and I have a real interest in how things are made and how rock and roll became so, um, so explosive and political in the late 60s has a lot of roots in, of course, folk music, which was always political, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that didn't make it to the mainstream until technology and uh, allowed young people to start getting angry at the same time and right. rebellious. And so I think all the threads that led to rock and roll then led to what we typically associate with late 60s mm -hmm. rock, yeah. you know, uh, Doors, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that got me really excited. Yeah, me right. too. It's kind of stuff Led I like Led Zeppelin was my first album. Is that, yeah, yeah, right. The first album I ever bought on my own. And that's, you know, late, late 60s. Mm -hmm. Most people associate Zeppelin, I at least I did, in the 70s. So mm -hmm. that was a huge fuel for me, for mm -hmm. Boom, because I know a lot of people seeing the show today will have emotional connections to a lot of these songs. Not mm -hmm. every song, because I started in 1945. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these songs were part of, you know, childhood mm -hmm. and they weren't part of mine. Mm -hmm. And yet I know the effect I'm having on the audience sometimes is different when there's a baby boomer in the audience. They're sometimes mm -hmm. going nudge, nudge, whereas an 18 year old is not going nudge, nudge. They're kind of going, <laughs> my grandparents were more like me than I care to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk about, you talk about, you mentioned um, anger and that, uh, that uh, the anger started spilling into the music. What do, you, what do you think that, where did that anger come from at that time? Well, you're on the late end of the boom, yeah. right? So you didn't come of age no, in the typical sort of No, but you know, it really did leak into my teenage years as well. Um, I think, I mean, it was anti-establishment. It just mm. kept going on. But I think that's true of any age. I agree. It's, yeah. it's timeless, really. Yeah, one of the things with, with Boom that I, I try to echo is not so much how different we are. Mm -hmm. Of course, the baby boomer generation is special for a lot of reasons, but every generation has a Time magazine cover that says the me generation. Yeah. Every generation yeah. thinks the younger people are entitled, mm -hmm. that they watch too many screens. This mm -hmm. is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the anger and rebelliousness is natural. It's what happens. Yeah, and, and I, but one thing though that I understood, one of the, my revelations about this time was I thought everybody was a hippie, everybody was a radical, and that just was so far, whoops, so, so far from the truth. Yeah. There were radical voices that young people felt connected to and wanted to, to identify with, mm. and it felt part of a, a group and connected. Young people mm -hmm. want to feel connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
and through technology and masses of people and seeing the world through Walter Cronkite on TV and uh, they felt connected to something, mm -hmm. but they weren't all hippies or radical. No. A lot of people no. were trying it out. Yeah. And you'll see one of the main stories in there was somebody who was trying it out and then mm -hmm. realized I'm a little more establishment than I care to think mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, being part of a system is not necessarily mm -hmm. bad thing. Some right. people were truly radical, but not everybody. Right. You could be a hippie too and just have fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> did anyone live in Yorkville in the late sixties in Toronto? You know, you did. You know, I've had these amazing stories. We collect stories after the show and we, we post them on this, uh, on this site on our Cadoons network called encyclopediacanada.com. We have now 150 stories from people who've seen the show and who shared a story afterwards. Cause again, I didn't live a single moment of the baby boom, but they did stories of Yorkville where a dad drives their kid through Yorkville cause they have to, and they <laughs> lock the car doors. <laughs> you know, this is a kind of, they're very Great. different attitudes mm -hmm. and it's not a monolithic uh, stereotype that we have mm. of the generation of the fifties being all locked down suburbs boxes and the sixties yeah. where all hell breaks loose. Yeah. It's a lot more, as you said, fluid. Mm -hmm. And these things recur in cycles mm -hmm. way more than we care to Another think. Another thing that's interesting is too, is it, it wasn't just anger. That was the peace and love generation. Right. right, sure. You know, it was really about bringing people together and, um, you know, sexual freedom, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And for women, it was a really important era of liberation. Yeah. You know, I was one of the first generations that broke away from the stereotypical, you know, staying at home with the kids mm. and being able to do whatever you wanted to do. There are a few milestones of the, the women's rights movement in the 60s, although it, that, that wave only kicked in in the late 60s, early 70s, along with the gay rights movement. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, a lot of those clenching moments really set the main character, yes. who is based on my mother, in there on that, that course. So in mm -hmm. some ways, she lived a similar life where all of a sudden it exploded and she realized, I have a cause to fight for mm -hmm. my whole life. Mm -hmm. But that was only late yes. in the 60s. Although yes. there were people fighting That's for women's right. rights throughout. Oh, yeah. It yeah. became Definitely. A, a movement there. Yeah. Reached critical yeah. mass. Yeah. Exactly. Um, this is, yeah, this is going in a really great direction because I think one of the most um, effective things about Boom, without saying too much about it, is, is, uh, is the fusion of the political and the cultural. There's this idea of visceral memories surrounding major cultural or, or political milestones as a bonding agent. Hmm. Um, and there's a sort of camaraderie in the where were you when question that came with everyone having a television in their home, right? Where mm -hmm. were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you mm -hmm. when? Um, so, um, and you, you mentioned on this a little bit before, Rick, that you, you have this really interesting online feature called Your Stories, where you collect and archive stories from the audience after seeing the show. Why did that, why did that start? What's the aim of the project? Well. Uh, at Cadoons, you mentioned Weird and Cadoons. Weird is my theater company and Cadoons is our online company. And we wanted to make shows that were not just something that you consume and then put aside. We wanted the experience to continue online specifically because we're trying to talk to young people, really. Mm. That's what we're, we're doing. We want young people to understand that they have their parents and their grandparents around, that there are stories to be shared, that their history is more of a cycle. We can learn from past mistakes by sharing stories, not always about now and the immediacy, but of the past and to make the past speak to the future is what I wanted to do with Boom. Mm. And that's why we, we share these stories because people learn, historians are learning this now better through stories. Young people, uh, you say you can give them a PDF about you know the environmental crisis in the world or anything and it will be far more effective to tell a story about it. Mm -hmm. Scientists, historians are learning 
Historians have always told stories, <laughs> but people take it as something factual in hard copy print. Whereas if it's something living through stories, there's an emotional connection. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to extend the experience so that this pre-show chat, you're gonna see, I come out on stage and I'm gonna talk to the rest of the audience before the show, I'm gonna go through the show, and then I'm gonna come out after the show, we're gonna keep talking, there's a talk back, and then hopefully you'll share your stories with me. So it's really, it makes the show less of just a thing and more part of a, a continuum of a conversation that I'm yeah. having as Boom has now toured to, um, uh, we've been on the road for 12 months now, we've, we've done almost 200 performances from coast to coast to coast, and I have learned so much about Canadian culture this last year, mm. more than I ever have by talking to people. Mm. So that's why we do it. Thank you for that. That's yeah. that's really noble. Well, look, endeavor. I mean, it's, it's partly noble. It's partly also because you know I have a show, and I, I want to. I don't just want to do my show and stay in my hotel room. I want to learn about the cities that mm. I'm in. And uh, of course, Ottawa has a great deal of, of history and culture, but everywhere. I was up in Whitehorse realizing that I didn't even know there was a Francophone culture up there. And you know, huh. all, these, all these things I'm discovering about the history of the First Nations, and that's something we're still working on as Boom continues to evolve, how to integrate that story mm -hmm. of rebellion into, into mm -hmm. Boom. We're not there yet, but it's a continuing process, and I'm sure the play will be very different in two months when we finish our tour. Right. And then next year when we pick it up again and go to Australia and the United States. Wow, so cool. The, uh, the atomic bomb and the H-bomb uh, figures largely into boom. Uh, I was working on a show recently uh, which required a trip to the Diefen Bunker here in Ottawa. I don't know if, uh, have you ever been there? Have you guys ever been to the Diefen Bunker? No. If you get a chance, Rick, you should really go. It's where, fascinating. Where is it? Is in the it's, it's out in CARP. It's in CARP, yeah. It's in CARP. Okay. So yeah. this was a, a facility built during the Cold War to house the, uh, the federal government in the case of uh, a nuclear attack here yep. on Ottawa. And, um, and I got my, my first real taste of the very real fear of nuclear annihilation of the 60s. Uh, you know, it had been sort of an, um, a concept that I, I just never really hit home until I, I walked the halls there. I'm interested in what kind of impact you feel the, the bomb has on us now or mm. had, had on the baby boom. Well, I'll start with the now. Uh, you know, we, we always have, I mean, there's various points of view expressed in Boom, and they're just stories and people's opinions. So it's, it's I tie it all together to show a, a bigger perspective, but Lawrence is one of the main characters, and he has a real disdain for the military for, for his own reasons, and for the, and cynicism really about um, politics and the fact that, you know, the, you need an enemy, that's how, you know, freedom works, you have to create an enemy. So he has that mm. point of view, and in that case, we're always going to be afraid of something, whether it's, you know, as he says, communists now and or terrorists now and communists then. Mm. I, I, I partly think I think it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily agree with it completely. But the bomb, my kids are growing up at a time where we don't sit there, you know, like my mom did crying on the couch at seven years old, terrified that a bomb was going to fall mm -hmm. on her head. Yeah. So it, but then again, I grew up in the eighties with star Wars. I remember this sort of net of missiles that Reagan was talking about. And mm -hmm. I remember the cold war, but it wasn't, it didn't make me afraid. Yeah. And in that sense, mm -hmm. my kids are not growing up in fear, yeah. even though there is a lot to be afraid of. They don't have that. So yeah. I, mm -hmm. I didn't experience it, but a lot of people I've spoken to share stories about either their, their parents building a bunker in their own, you know, in their own lot, 
and then read them reading about the fact that it was built for an A bomb, not an H bomb, which is a thousand <laughs> times stronger. And all of a sudden, yeah. got this bunker that's yeah. going to do nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So uh, these stories are very interesting to me. Again, I I haven't lived. Do you recall? You know what? I just recall um, communism. Like that, that was the big thing to be afraid of. Right. You know, you didn't talk about it at school. Um, yeah, it just it was just a no no. Yeah, they were the enemy. Did you do any duck and cover under your desk? You know what? Uh, Not really, I have to say. By the time I was in school, no. But I do remember um, at one point in my childhood, a a fire, we had a a volunteer fire department, and the siren went off, and all the adults at the table went under the (laughs) dinner table. Automatically, just out of reflex. reflex. And I remember that moment and thinking, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, but yeah, because it was real for them. Then again, I'm thinking my kids have these lockdowns in schools. In French, it's confinement barricade. And so, you know, but I, I don't feel that they come home terrorized by this thought. Although I can imagine in the United States, it's a different story, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's such a, a potent argument these days. Uh, you know, it's, it's full of controversy, but mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of the, the right wing basically saying the reason that there were shooters who got in, cause there wasn't a, a gun at the door. <laughs> and so, yeah, kids, I imagine in the States have a different relationship to yeah. the fear, but in Canada, I, I really don't feel it's as present anymore. Yeah. They've been doing it from a pretty young age. It's been going on for probably about 10 years now, right. the lockdown. So yeah. most teens or young adults now, they're, they're used to it. You're right. And Things nothing's like ever happened. Yeah. So, you know, thank the Lord yeah. <laughs> or whoever. <laughs> um, Rick, um, we have to let you go. Oh shoot! It's, really? ten, it's, it's ten, ten after. after. It's ten after one. Well, there's like a do, minute left. Do one more. We'll do okay, one more. more. We're shifting gears. One more. We're shifting gears. Rick has to get ready for a, a giant performance. <laughs> um, you know, Catherine, you run a website catering. Christine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so okay. Sorry. That's Christine, okay. you run a uh, you run a website mm-hmm. catering to the um, over fifty crowd. Mm-hmm. What sparked your desire to be an advocate for? for people over 50. Uh, was there a particular issue or, or perception you set out to challenge? Um, I would say there was kind of a defining moment. I, I just started the website about a year ago and I was in Shoppers Drug Mart and I was checking out and the woman asked me if I had my seniors card. And <laughs> I was so Okay. I, I think she sho- she saw the shock on my face and said, "Well, at Shoppers, it's fifty five. Oh, are I you fi- are you fifty five yet?" And I said, "Almost, almost." almost. <laughs> and you know, I felt a little bit better, but it, it really started a moment of reflection, self reflection, and uh, yeah, I'm entering a new stage of my life, and yet. I feel exactly the same right. as I did when I was 20 or 30. And I've still got a lot of living to do. So, you know, boomer years are good years. It's, it's like <laughs> the opposite. You you start to not want to be carded in a way, just like young people, you know, yes. the carded at the younger ends. Like, yes. no, I'm older than that. No, now it's like, I'm younger than that. Yeah. Damn it. yeah. It was shocking. <laughs> uh, I, I, this is great. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about being a boomer today. Mm. And uh, so I will wrap it up in two minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you can throw to me and I'll, and then I do have to run yeah, out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, but this, well, the question I had ready was for Chris. <laughs> oh, That's okay. you, I, I don't want to let you down. Can you, can you flow? And, yeah, and I can totally uh, flow. Yeah. Let's, 
but it's about the it's about the topic, which is about rebooting the boomer. Okay, which is How a great article from Christine's website. How did you get interested in that? I'll ask him a yeah. question. Well, I think, so you know, I, I want let me read something that Christine wrote on her website. Okay. Um, uh, because it's called Rebooting the Boomer, A Recipe for Self-Employment. You say, you go on to say, some call it a midlife crisis and women often blame it on hormones. But the fact is many boomers arrive at this point in their life, their mid fifties, uh, and they ask, what do I really want to do with my life? Can you talk a little bit about what you think sparks that questioning? And maybe you can talk a little bit about that in your forties. Sure, and then, so I'll, I'll give an Let's answer give and then I'll let you uh, be yeah. the expert on that. Yeah. Um, I remember reading about uh, Jung and sort of a mid thirties um, change point. I think he called it individuation, where that's where you decide who you're gonna be for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. I'm 45, my wife and I are both you know, right at that age where we're deciding, okay, what are we gonna be for the rest of our lives? Yeah. I think <laughs> these days things are a lot more in flux overall. Young people are told that their career will change maybe four or five times when mm -hmm. they're in their life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think the lockdown and get a job, I mean, we're in a city yes. that people typically think of, of bureaucracy, but often it is the case where people used to get a job and they had it for life. Like my grandfather worked at GM after the I war. Do. And that's just what he did. And he didn't love his job, but he was a, put food on the table for his family. Yes. And that's a very different attitude now. So mm -hmm. my feeling is that these things are more in flux now mm. than they have been. And as boomers are given more opportunities and are, are able to have longer lifespans, and yes. uh, then it does become a case of what will you do yeah. for the next 20, 30 years of your life. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm not, I'm not quite at that stage, but I'm getting close, close and I'm mm -hmm. thinking, how long will I be able to sustain what I do and do what I do? Is this what I want to do? Always questioning. Mm -hmm. I always question, which is why I'm an artist. I'm mm -hmm. always yeah. doubting and questioning, never certain, never satisfied. And that's part of the spirit of what makes me want to know more. And I, so it's a fuel for boom. And maybe I'll leave on that, mm -hmm. yeah. on that note. You and maybe answered you can that add, perfectly. No, but I'll let you, you be the expert. You took all my answers. I'm sorry. I have to run, folks. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Rick Miller. Yeah, so if you want to elaborate <laughs> on that. <laughs> but he answered it fairly well. Um, I think the days of, you know, having a job for the rest of your life, uh, it, it's a reality. Uh, big corporations are, are hiring more and more freelancers, uh, the gig economy, they call it. So you're working on getting gigs. You don't have that steady job, the security, the benefits. And we have to adapt because I, I was talking about that earlier with you. The actual baby boom in Canada was a little bit later than the United States. So um, it really peaked in 1959, 1960. So our boomer generation will not really be fully retired or the peak of retirement will not be until uh, 2024. So that's still a long way away. and we're still going to be working for another 10, 15 years, many mm. boomers. Um, but we have to adapt to a new reality. Yeah. And uh, it takes some creativity and some courage. Uh, technology plays a big part in that. Um, but at the same time, we're boomers. So we lived through an era of um, freedom, uh, creativity. Uh, you know, much of what you see in the world today is, are mm. things that, that our generation created. So we have the capacity. 
We have the capacity. When we were talking before, you mentioned there was a, a really interesting Twitter statistic. What, what was yeah. that statistic? It was it was forty percent of new Twitter users are between the age of forty five and sixty five. Really so technology is a huge part of our lives now. And it, w it was interesting. I was at Rick's, uh, uh, the preview of the show the other night, and um, most of the crowd were boomers, just, yeah. like, uh, just like we're seeing today. And at first, I was, oh, there's not as many phones out as <sighs> you see usually, you know, out on the street or at any events. But within about 10 or 15 minutes, the phones started coming out. And they may have been using them for different things. We, we, all, we all use technology now. But, you know, there was people showing pictures of their grandchildren or mm. their bathroom that they just decorated. or So it might not be the same media that young people are watching, but we're using it. Yeah. We're using it. I was driving to, uh, to Montreal yesterday, and I actually... Uh, just on the radio heard this really interesting thing, which was that uh, some statistics were presented, which was that the millennial generation mm. um, favors or, or views getting rich. 77% um, of millennials <laughs> believe that getting rich is important compared to people in the baby boom generation who when polled said it was 44, 43%. Mm. And I think this sort of evidence is always, I found it interesting because it's always presented in a way to say, it, to reinforce this notion that people of the millennial generation are selfish or that mm -hmm. they um, that they're that they're entitled, which I think was a really interesting word that Rick mm -hmm. used. Um, and it just got me thinking about this this mm -hmm. gig economy. And mm -hmm. I wanted to open this up um, some questions to the audience and to mm -hmm. you. So um, if you're interested in this too, um, now that millennials are are coming of age in large lump numbers, um, how do you think the baby boom generation compares to the millennials? You know what? I, I really hate comparing. Yeah. Um, because it's like Rick was saying earlier, um, every generation looks back on the generation before them and says, oh, we're, they're, they're not like this. Or, you know, as a child, I mean, and most people in the audience probably heard, I walked 10 miles to yeah. school. Oh, I yeah. had no shoes. The stories got, you know, that life was more and more difficult. And it was, no doubt, much more difficult than what, you know, Canadian children especially are living these days. Yeah. Uh, they have so much more. But we gave it to them. We gave hmm. it to them. and But I think all young people feel entitled at a certain age. Right. And, and that... That's also what sparks um, so many good things as well, like fighting for the environment, fighting for the things they believe in. Um, they feel entitled to uh, uh, a world that's healthy and, you know, so I, I think yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I think, think entitlement's a good thing. Yeah, entitlements is, um, it's funny, because when I heard those statistics about millennials viewing getting rich as being more important mm. than baby boomers, the, my, it was presented in a way to say, Negatively? Negatively. Like, yeah. Look, look how selfish they are. They just want to get rich. But then it made me think actually about entitlements, which, uh, you know, people my age who uh, increasingly believe that there will be no social safety net. So I, you know, mm -hmm. getting rich is, mm -hmm. it's not so much about um, being greedy so much as it is about retiring well. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered, I wonder what you thought or if you have any thoughts about uh, what is a good strategy for aging? Mm-hmm. Wow. The million dollar question. Yeah. 
but you know, there's, there's, yeah. <laughs> staying alive. If you didn't, on the podcast, staying if you didn't hear alive. that, someone yelled, staying alive. That was also a great disco song by John Travolta. <laughs> hey, disco, it's back. <laughs> but you know, I, um, I discovered uh, a writer, his name is uh, Dan Butner. Um, he writes for the New York Times, and he got together with National Geographic and some of um, the world's leading um, researchers in longevity. And they, uh, they managed to um, find five zones in the world where there was a really high rate of, uh, of people over 100 years old. Hmm. One of those places was an island in Italy called Sardinia. And I was very fortunate. I lived there for 10 years. So I know quite hmm. a bit about the culture. And uh, they found, you know, there was key... Um, key aspects of their lifestyle that really um, contributed to longevity. A couple glasses of good wine every day. Hmm. Um, Diet, you know, so eating healthy, um, not as much meat, more plant-based diet. Walking, which is the best exercise that any of us can do. There's all kinds of exercise fads out there. Go for a walk. It's Hmm. the best. Um, But I think the most important ones were community uh, friendships, uh, laughing with friends and, and family. And those, uh, those are pretty much, um, a constant, I think when you're talking about living well, um, up to any age is, is, you know, having a community that's, uh, around you, friends and family, um, and a supportive, uh, network. Yeah. I think that really having a good time, that's what's, really keeps yeah. you young yeah. and you know we we might look a bit older on the outside but inside you feel the same i'm sure all of you feel the same thing you look in the mirror and go what is that really me because inside luckily our our eyesight goes at the same time so <laughs> but it's is that really me because i feel the same do you all feel like that like I feel the same, and if our, you know, if we can get our tired bones out of bed, we could dance just as well as any of the young people out there. That's awesome. <laughs> Brad, I just want to make sure that we um, mention the title of Christine's uh, website. Yeah. I don't know if we've got that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, Christine. Ottawaboomers.com. Ottawaboomers.com. <laughs> Check it out. It's great. It's there's some really great pieces on there. I just want to thank um, Christine for joining us today. Thank it's, you. It's it was such a pleasure. Yeah. And thank you for all uh, for coming. And I hope you go and see Boom. Yeah. Enjoy. It's a great show. That's all for this edition of the Points of View podcast. Send us your comments and questions. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac-cna.ca slash podcast. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find this as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Points of View. If you'd like to stay in touch with the news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.
This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.